ravioli. Ravioli, the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, March 30th. We're almost done with March already. Ravioli. Who doesn't like a good ravioli? You put a little goat cheese inside, maybe some mushrooms, maybe some meat. Why am I talking about pasta during Passover? I didn't have ravioli, but Steve Cohn did. Steve Cohn is a new owner for the New York Mets. We've talked about him a lot since he took over. This is his first season, his first spring training, made his first big trade, getting Francisco Lindor and the hurt Carlos Carrasco overpaid because Carrasco is getting paid way too much. Brings in Lindor, going to be a free agent at the end of the year. One of this great crop of shortstops who are going to be free agents after the season. And the Mets have been pressured to sign Lindor because otherwise the trade makes no sense at all. You don't want Lindor for one season. You need to keep him long-term. I was in the camp that they had agreed upon deal because there was no way I'm trading for Lindor for a rental. I'm just not doing it as a new owner coming in where I'm saying we're going to win a World Series in three to five years. And what we're doing with the Mets team is bringing in Lindor for a year. So I assumed incorrectly, maybe, that... Lindor had an agreed upon deal. So they opened negotiations with Lindor, the Mets did. And the way those negotiations start, the owner does not get involved. It is with Sandy Alderson and Lindor's agent. I actually don't even know who represents him. It's not Boras. I don't know who it is. So they start negotiations. They go back and forth. They make a few offers. You start with the rumors and the leaks. And the first rumor was that the Mets offered Lindor shy of $300 million. And we did a wait to see on the show one of the days when this was going on that Lindor will sign with the Mets and it will be over $300 million because when you're negotiating, you definitely start about 50 million minimum below where you're going to end when you're doing a big deal like this with, with a player like Lindor. So there's not a lot of activity. Lindor says, no, there's concerns. The Mets are negotiating with two of their free agents. They've got their own player, Michael Conforto, who is represented by Boras. So there's no way they're going to get him signed. They've got Noah Syndergaard coming off Tommy John, who's going to be a free agent. And there's no indication they're going to keep him because you just don't know what he's going to be like. And don't believe the hype that he's throwing 97 out of a bullpen uh, coming back from Tommy John, it doesn't matter. He actually is going to come back sometime in mid-June, and then you'll see how he does the rest of the season. But signing him to a long-term deal is definitely going to be risky. So they don't have to worry about that now. So the focus is solely on Lindor. So Steve Cohn gets his updates from Sandy. Alderson saying, you know, we're not that close. We're going to have to go up above $300 million for sure. And I just don't know given that Tatis signed for 340, we've got Machado at 300. Somewhere in that range is what's going to make sense for us. So Steve Cohn then does what I think is maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just a boomer. Maybe that's what it is, Coca. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to happen, where you negotiate through the media, negotiate on Twitter. Steve Cohn reopened his Twitter account after leaving when he wasn't happy with some of the comments and I uh, came back and it's almost like he was crowdsourcing Lindor's contract. What that means is he actually tweeted, what do you think we should sign Lindor for? And that's a violation because fans don't give a rat's ass what you sign him for. They just want him signed. If he wants 660 million, you give him 660 million. 
If he wants a 20-year deal at a 40 million AAV, you just do it. Asking the crowd. I, I don't even understand what the point of that is. So fans obviously responded on his Twitter. I guess it's good at getting followers, Coca. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe we should just put on Twitter, hey, what do you want to talk about on Nothing Personal? Oh, we do that. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, I digress. I have a little bit of uh, altitude in my brain today. That's actually just a Tuesday for me. And it is Tuesday. So it is just a Tuesday. So what should we sign Lindor for? Who knows? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Deadline. You need a deadline when you're negotiating a deal like this. And the Mets and Lindor have a deadline of Thursday, April 1st, opening day. Because smartly, Sandy Alderson knows that you do not want to negotiate with your free agents during the course of a regular season. You can finish up an agreed upon deal and have it bleed into the first week a little bit and announce it in the first week, no problem. But you do not do the meaty negotiating once the season starts. Remember, it's way too distracting, way too distracting. And the Mets need to focus on year one of their three to five year World Series plan. So the deadline is Thursday. Deadlines are critical because, as you know, in your life, nothing happens until it has to happen. You can procrastinate right till the end. But if you don't give yourself a deadline that you stick to, that you pretend is real, then it's not going to happen. Think of it like grocery shopping. If you have to get groceries and you know you have to get it by Friday and you really want to get it by Thursday so you can start preparing, but there are certain things that could wait, you could wait, you don't have to do it, you end up going Friday, right? That's what a contract negotiation is with a player. So the deadline is this coming Thursday. So word came out yesterday, and this is big. Steve Cohn got himself involved. The way owners get involved with players is it has to revolve around food because there's no way that that the owner just goes into the clubhouse and calls the player into the training room and starts negotiating. Doesn't happen, happens offsite. There's no way the agent lets the player go to the owner's house. Not gonna happen, regardless of COVID, I'm talking in general. You don't wanna do it on the owner's home turf. The player could feel overwhelmed. Thirdly, you don't wanna do it with too many people in too public a place. So what you do is you find a restaurant to go to. You tell the people that you're going. You say, I'm Steve Cohn. I own the Mets. I need a dinner reservation. We're going to go Italian, of course, because why wouldn't Lindor and Steve Cohn go Italian food? And we're going to talk. So you either properly call the agent and set it up through the agent, or you can actually have the GM or your manager, Luis Rojas, ask Lindor uh, in the clubhouse. Generally, the owner's not going to go to the clubhouse, walk up to the player and say, would you like to have dinner? Because the player will be embarrassed about that because players don't want to be singled out by the owner like that. The the owner would have to go in and talk to every player because players, do you know how much players pay attention to this, Coca? Remember we talked about how players pay attention to the highlight videos and how many times they appear in the highlight videos, how many giveaways uh, each player gets during the course of a year. Players pay attention when the GM, the president, and the owner come into the clubhouse and where they go and who they talk to and who they don't talk to, who they walk right by, who they just pat on the butt, who they actually sit down and talk to for a while. Players pay attention to that. There is no question. So as a new owner, I would not say to Steve Cohn, go to the clubhouse and ask Lindor to have dinner. So there's intermediaries who plan for it. They go have dinner and... Steve Cohn decides that he wants to give an update about the dinner 
And his update was, and I kid you not, the ravioli was not good. Is that code? Is that a special code for the conversation wasn't good? Were there uncomfortable silences? Like John Travolta and Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction at the diner? Did they talk about money only? Did they talk about the future? Did they talk about players? Did they talk about what it was like to be an owner? What it was like to buy the team? What it was like to own a team? Talk about what it was like to become one of the best shortstops in history. What did they talk about? Or do they just talk about nonsense? Ravioli style. So Steve Cohen says the ravioli wasn't good and all Mets fans were gaga. Uh Uh-oh, that means that Lindor is not going to take the deal. Panic time. So then the Mets leak out that the deal that they offered was $325 million over 10. That's the same notional amount we gave Stanton, but we took Stanton to 13 years. But 325 over 10 is $25 million more, $2.5 million more per year than what Manny Machado got. Manny Machado got 300 over 10. Lindor is 26 years old now. So this is a final contract. 10 years, you're going to be 36, 37 years old when it's done. You may get a year after that, maybe two years, but this is pretty much it. So I assumed when the Mets made that offer that that was a offer that would get it done. But then the Mets revealed something that is a new owner issue. In the business world, there are many, many, many times when you are negotiating with someone and you say, that's it. That's our last and best offer. That's our final offer. We're done. And then there's some more talking. And then, all right, fine. We'll bring in. We'll give you an extra couple of dollars. We'll let you have a better office, a corner office, higher floor. You know, little things that you can do. A bigger expense account. In baseball, when you are negotiating with a player and an agent and you say, this is my last and final offer, you better mean it. And this came up so many times during my career where we would want to say to a player, this is our last and final offer but we knew we couldn't. And the reason why is that we knew that at any point the owner could say, no, let's go higher. We can go another year. Let's give it another couple million per year because we really need this guy. Trust me, you're going to want this guy. We need this guy. Our team is better with this guy. And if you tell an agent and a player that it's your last and final and best offer, and then you give more money, guess what that means? For the rest of time, eternity, When you are the owner and president of that team, your word means bupkis. When you say to a player, that's it, I need an answer by tomorrow, that's our final offer, they'll look at you and say, really? (laughs) That's not true. You got another couple mil, don't you? So don't say it's your last, best, and final offer unless you mean it, and then you got to stick to it. And to stick to it, you got to be willing to let Lindor go to free agency. And the Mets cannot risk letting Lindor go to free agency. Because if you do, you're going to have to pay more to get someone to come to the Mets and play shortstop for you. So let's pretend that he did stay to Lindor over the ravioli while smearing some bread. My guess is they went to a restaurant that does oil instead of a cube of butter. They put oil in your bread plate. By the way, bread drink. If you're watching this on YouTube and you want to know where your bread plate is and where your drink is when you sit down, just make the AOK sign. And the hand that makes a B is your left hand. Your bread plate's on the left side. D is drink. Your drink is on the right side of your place setting. 
bread drink. So in a very fancy Italian restaurant, you go to your left side, you look at the bread plate, they come over with a little bit of oil, pour a little few drops of oil, bring you a nice bread, you smear, smear the bread, you eat the oil, eat the ravioli. Don't scoop up the bread with the sauce from the ravioli and eat it like a savage. Lindor leaves the dinner, no deal. Then last night, it got really interesting. Lindor leaked out that he wants 385 for 12. So we know that the 32 and a half AAV that Steve Cohn offered was a good AAV for Lindor because Lindor countered with a 32.1 AAV. 32.08 is my think is the math, but rounded up to 32.1. But he wanted two more years of that 32.1 AAV. So Lindor's 26 turning 27. That brings him past the end of his career. He'll be done. That gives him a two-year pillow deal at the end of $31 million a year. That's where owners have a problem because they look at the end of the deal and they see that there is very little chance that Lindor will be a $30 million player when he's playing age 37, 38. There are very few players that age, if any. I'm trying to think of any 36, 37-year-olds who should be getting paid that level of money. Maybe there's a unicorn once in a while, but it is very unlikely. So what is more likely is Lindor buys a house. He has a family. He likes New York. He's good. You sign him to uh, the deal of 10 years. You give him the $325 million, And then you go back to him and you say, hey, we'll give you 30 over two just to finish your career with the Mets because we thank you, we love you, and we appreciate the two to three World Series that you've won or the one World Series and the four playoff appearances or the no World Series but two pennants and five playoff appearances, whatever the math is. Thank you very much. We're good. By the way, pay attention to what we just talked about because it's going to come up again in the next segment about Anthony Rizzo. Do you remember? I'm not going to remember, but what I think I talked about is the pillow deal at the end of a long-term deal and how to deal with that because pillow deals never are beneficial for a owner if they are signed in advance and they are mostly not beneficial for the owner when they are signed at the time and they are almost always beneficial for the player because his production is so far declined in those later pillow years. So we got Lindor 12385. We're 60 million dollars apart. Where does this end, you ask? This ends with a journey to City Field where the Mets will open their season. I actually don't know where the Mets open their season, Coca. The Mets open on Thursday. Are they home or away? Do we know? I don't even know if Coca's on the, on the program. Coca's had a long, long day yesterday watching all sorts of college basketball, trying to figure out who's going to beat him in the bracket, worried that he didn't pick Houston and Baylor. So the Mets open in D.C. They're on a flight to D.C. from um, Port St. Lucie. Hmm. There's going to be a journey. There's going to be a conversation with Lindor. And here's where it ends. The Mets will go up from 10-325. They're going to go to an 11th year, maybe to a 12th year. The difference between 325 and 385, if you meet in the middle, is 355. So this ends between three. It's going to end 350 or higher. Steve Cohn is going to swallow hard. And the reason he's going to swallow hard is he knows that he let Bauer go. He couldn't get Bauer, even though he claims he could have, but he didn't bid high enough, even though he says he did. Did not get any of the other big free agents. James McCann is going to hurt them. You're going to hear tomorrow that I'm not even predicting the Mets 
as a playoff team, even though they do have the best pitcher in baseball. But they've got to get Lindor signed. So Lindor will end up agreeing with the Mets because the Mets have to. Lindor knows it. And the 325 will not have been their best and final offer. But our wait to see of getting over 300, that's going to be a slam dunkaroo. As a matter of fact, that's already a wing because in theory, they already offered it. So remember, we talked about the whole pillow deal, Sitch. The Cubs have a situation. Theo Epstein, as you know, bailed because he did not want to be a part of the Cubs moving on from all of their players and moving on from that juggernaut they had the last few years with the several World Series and World Series appearances, several rings they won, the dynasty they built around Baez and Bryant and Rizzo and Lester, et cetera. So he bails, leaves Jed Hoyer to negotiate, and they've got a situation because they're cutting payroll, they're letting players go, and they're negotiating with Anthony Rizzo because he is the Cubs. Anthony Rizzo, a local South Florida guy, still very involved in South Florida charities after the Parkland massacre, uh, gave a ton of money and time uh, uh, in that uh, to those kids. Just he is a uh, very charitable man, just a, a, a very good guy. He's one of the really good guys in baseball. Uh, so is Lindor, by the way. And uh, the Cubs are negotiating with Rizzo. And apparently they offered him $15 million a year for four years. And Rizzo was so offended, so angry that he said, you know what? Up yours. I'm not even talking to you anymore. The, the, the regular season starts and we're done. We're not negotiating. And do you know what the Cubs did? The Cubs said the following. Okay. Sorry, Anthony. No problem. Hey, you have a good year now. You hear? The Cubs had zero intention of signing Anthony Rizzo. Zero. The 60 over four, 15 million a year. I get it. I understand why Rizzo was upset. Let's, do you think he's a comp with uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Coca? I guess they're both first basemen. But Goldschmidt was traded to St. Louis, as I recall, from Arizona. Immediately signed a long-term deal. I think he got 100 and, uh, somewhere around $120, $130 million for five years from the uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, who now have Arenado, by the way. I'm giving you a preview hint hint about my picks tomorrow for the uh, NL Central. So Goldschmidt signs for 130 over five. And Goldschmidt and Rizzo are pretty similar players, if you think about it. Remember, Rizzo is one of the best defensive first basemen, and he can rake. The last full season in 2019, he was in the 290 range with 20 home runs, near 100 RBI, somewhere in that range. 20 was not a good year for him. But again, when you love a player, and we've talked about this, but I want to get it. I want you to be inside the front office. You use 2020 as confirmation bias for what you want to do financially. Anthony Rizzo hits 222. And then the Cubs say 2020 matters. Yelich hits 222. And the Brewers say 2020 doesn't matter because he's already signed. But for the Cubs, they're going to pretend it did matter because they do not have the bandwidth, the payroll right now, because they have taken on so much debt to, to redo Wrigley Field, to buy, buy up properties around Wrigleyville, that their missing fans for this year in 2020 was incredibly hurtful in terms of their debt service payments. It doesn't matter that their team on paper is worth three bill. It doesn't matter. You need the cash. You all know this. 
loyal, nothing personal listeners know that just because you own something that's worth a lot, you can't take that and pay bills with that article from Forbes. So by offering Rizzo such a low deal, they made one critical mistake that Theo never would have made. You don't make a good faith offer. Cut that out, Coca. 72, 70, 69. You don't make an offer to a player who is a franchise player who's meant so much to your franchise that you know he's not going to accept. You don't make an insulting offer to a franchise player who's been a part of a world championship for the first time, breaking the Billy Goat curse, et cetera, et cetera, when you know that you do not have space for him on your team. Instead, what you do is you make no offer. It is far better to be silent and to let there be a question as to your intentions than to talk and make your intentions clear. I don't blame the Cubs for not signing Anthony Rizzo because Anthony Rizzo is going to want 20 to 25 million a year. He's going to want, he's only turning 32 this year. So he's going to be 33 as a free agent. He's going to want a four-year deal to get him to 37, maybe even a five-year deal to get him to 38 and GTH. It's not going to happen. And he's going to want for sure 20 plus per year. So let's just say he wants 23. I'm doing that just to make the math hard, but call it 92 million over four. And the Cubs just aren't going to get there. So instead, they offered him 60. He's pissed. The clubhouse is pissed. Everyone is angry. And the Cubs are starting a season where they have no chance to win. But now it's just going to be uncomfortable and unpleasant. And it didn't have to be. What I think this year should be for the Cubs was a celebration of the nucleus they put together the World Series they won, and enjoy having Bryant and Baez and Rizzo around. And know that the window's over. You're going to move on after the season from at least two of those players, if not three. And that's it. But for whatever reason, the Cubs made a terrible strategic move that is going to cost them in wins. It's going to cost them in cohesiveness, in chemistry. So I tell you now, that we do a wait to see every year, every day, almost every day, don't we? Wait to see is this, we tell you something's gonna happen and if it doesn't happen, then we revisit it. If it does happen, we revisit it. On February 16th, by the way, 2021, I don't know if you saw the NBA news, totally a non sequitur, but on February, I should do it the other way, shouldn't I, Coca? Because we were talking about Rizzo. I gotta learn the segues, here we go. Rizzo is not gonna resign with the Cubs He's going to be let go at the end of the year. He's going to have to find another deal, another city somewhere. He had a very good run. They won a title. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen, and it either does or doesn't. Wait to see. Rizzo will not be the only Cub from that core to leave at the end of the season. You've got Chris Bryant, represented by Boris, who still thinks he's an MVP player when he hasn't been in years. You've got Javier Baez, one of that great sort of the great class of shortstops who's going to expect to be under Machado, but pretty much 20 to 25 million a year. And then you've got Rizzo. Two out of three of those players are going to go. I'm going to set the over-under of one and a half. One and a half is the over-under out of those three players who will not be Cubs next year. Uh, Wait to see. I'm taking the under. I believe one of those three will be Cubs at best. 
I'm sorry, Cubs fans. Don't be despondent. You have a ring on your finger. You want a ring. You want a two? Nah, wasn't meant to be. We always revisit old wait to sees. On February 16th, 2021, there was all that discussion about Andre Drummond. He played for the, uh, who did he play for, Coco? Was he on the Cavs by chance this season? And we said that he was, uh, he was overpaid. And the question was, was he going to be traded because they were trying to trade him? And I said, there's no way Andre Drummond's going to be traded. He's not worth the money. And the Cubs let him go. They bought him out. I watched the, the uh, Cavs. I said the Cubs. I watched the Cavs play last night against the Utah Jazz. Kevin Love was in a sweatsuit on the sideline, sort of joking around. He signed that max deal. He's completely overpaid. He hasn't played. He's hurt. And while I have complete respect for what he's done and how public he's made his issues with depression and how great that is to normalize a feeling that so many of us have so often, and I have unbelievable props and respect for him, when I can differentiate what he does on the court, he is just an albatross around the Cavaliers' neck in terms of their team. Their team is so bad. It looked like Utah Jazz are the best team in basketball. The line was only 16. The line should have been 30. In my head, I had Utah minus 16 over the Cavs. Anyway, Andre Drummond is gone from the Cavs. Looks like he's going to join the Lakers. All right. Have fun, Andre. Anyway, that's a yes. Wait to see. All right. We've got another situation going on with the uh, with MLB. MLB has a funny way of communicating with its teams. You should know. So what they do is before Zoom, before COVID, there would be ownership meetings four times a year. You'd have committee meetings that sometimes would meet twice uh, every two months, sometimes once a month. There'd be occasional conversations you'd have with the commissioner and with the deputy commissioner, Dan Hallam. And you'd get a heads up every once in a while of a memo that was coming. But once COVID started, communication started being much more frequent because there was so much money being lost. There was so much uncertainty. And MLB released a memo. When I say released, it got leaked. They sent a memo yesterday about vaccines. And I want to talk about vaccines. I've gotten a lot of questions about vaccines, actually. A lot of people wondering would the players skip the line? And I told you that teams were not going to do that. There was way, way, way too much tension, way too much PR on having players skip the line. But eligibility right now under the president, they're looking at having everyone eligible by the middle of April. Do you remember when MLB wanted to delay the season by a month? Anyone remember that? And the players said no. So spring training would have started April 1. The season would have started May 1, round numbers. Well, people are getting vaccinated much faster now. When uh, Biden took over, he thought there'd be 100 million vaccinees. vaccinees. Ay, Coca. 68, 69, 70. When Biden took over, he thought there'd be 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days of his presidency. He's now moved that way up. People are getting vaccinated left, right, and center. There could be complete eligibility in certain states soon enough some states, it's the total Wild West. Some states, it's now 40 and over, 50 and older. Whatever the case is, people are getting vaccinated more and more. And that means that more fans will be able to go to games. That means more revenue, which means maybe they should have waited a month because that would have helped players down the line. So remember that game I went to last night? I think the, what was the attendance at the Utah game, Coke? I didn't even look. My guess is it was maybe 30% capacity. They sat us in pods. 
and they covered all the seats. So there were, it was me and my son and we sat in one area and there were people a couple rows back, a people a couple rows forward, but to the right, couple rows forward to the left, total distancing. And it was definitely strange. But all I kept thinking as I looked around is the in-game experience is absolutely different, completely way more boring, not exciting. They're pumping in crowd noise, which is giving me a headache. And it's not even good crowd noise. And they just don't want you to be able to hear the swearing that's going on in the court. So they pump in the crowd noise. The players have to get themselves motivated because it's not loud enough. And the, and the, the noise just comes from fakeness. And I just kept thinking that the way the world has changed within the arena, no one can get concessions. You have to pre-order at kiosks and then you can pick it up. There's no waiting on lines. There's no cash transactions at all. Half the concession stands are obviously closed. So anyway, I have no idea what I was talking about going to a game. Oh, if we had waited a month to start the season, there'd be a better chance of more people. That was my theory. But then the Texas Rangers decided that they, in their new ballpark, they had... Uh, they were going to have 100% capacity. Do you remember that? So they had an exhibition game yesterday and only 12,000 people showed up to their new stadium. If I were running that team and there was an exhibition game, the first real exhibition game at a brand new ballpark that they opened, Globe Life Park or Globe Life Field. The old one was park and the new one is field or the old one was field and the new one is park. Whichever it is, 12,000 people showed up. The question is why? Is it because the Rangers stink and they tried to be good last year, which was going to be their first year in the new ballpark? And they weren't good and then trade the players away because they lost a fortune of money. Is that why people aren't showing up? Or are they not showing up because they're just not comfortable yet? They're not enough vaccinated people, but it's Texas. I think people are comfortable doing everything in Texas. So what's the reason? Well, I think there's been enough progress in vaccines right now where waiting a month actually at the end of the day would not have mattered. All 30 teams will have fans in the stands, not a capacity. Maybe a month from now, it could have been capacity, but I doubt it. And even if it could have been capacity, I'm not sure it would have been capacity because I can tell you by going to my first professional sporting event since COVID, I found it to be strange to be around people. I found it to be, uh, I was nervous. I felt like, uh, I felt claustrophobic, even though there was tons of space. I was trying to remember what it was like to be in a mosh pit at a concert, to be at a game where you and I don't, I mean, I remember some games that I've been to on the road where you're just packed in with people. And I definitely was not there mentally yet. Maybe I'm the only one. I hope I will get back there. I hope everyone will get back there, but it's not going to be today. So MLB has the issue of revenue again in 2021, and that's going to be an issue as we go forward into the new collective bargaining agreement. But they also have an issue with players. And the issue with players is the concern they have about COVID protocols and whether or not players are going to be able to follow the COVID protocols during the course of a 162-game season versus a 60-game season. But now if the vaccine is available, they want their players to get the vaccine. But for whatever reason, there are a bunch of players and a bunch of people and a bunch of people in this country who are anti-vaxxers, who don't want to get vaccinated, who are worried that it's not a good thing. They're scared they're going to be sick or it's not going to help them. And I'm not talking about the people who have religious views. I'm the people who just either don't want to take it, scared of needles, worried about the efficacy, whatever the case is. So MLB said, we have an idea. We're going to bribe the players. So the MLB sent a memo that said, when your team gets to 85% vaccinated, 
That means 85% of your tier one employees, which are the players and the training staff and the managers and the coaches, when 85% of you were vaccinated, guess what? You can work out in your workout room, no mask. Guess what? You can play cards on a plane, even though they've been doing that already. Guess what? You can take rideshare services because no one likes taking the team bus. Guess what? You can eat out, but inside, outside. We are going to relax so many of the COVID protocols, just get to 85%. There's no science behind that at all. That is MLB's attempt from the commissioner's office to get as many players vaccinated as possible in order to guarantee getting through the season without a Marlins Cardinals issue the way there was last season. It's going to be quite interesting to me. MLB made this decision to do it because they cannot, from a PR standpoint, give a directive. A, they don't have the right because of the union, and the union's never going to allow a directive that all players must get, must get vaccinated. The union would never choose that hill to die on. And MLB knows it can't do it. So MLB instead gives this percentage aspirational goal and says, if so, we've worked out with your union that you all get to behave a lot closer to the way you like to behave versus the way we're telling you to behave, where there's going to be a lot of pressure on you not to behave that way. Because if you get caught, if you get COVID, then you're going to be Mike Clevenger. The question is, will there be 85% of teams who get vaccinated? It's an interesting question because there are not a lot of days off in baseball. And when you get the first vaccine, if you've had COVID, you feel like absolute crap the day after, and then you're good. If you get the vaccine and you haven't had COVID after the second dose, you feel like crap, but then it's done in a day. So I guess you could give players staggered days off because no, it's going to be very difficult for them to play after getting the first vaccine if they've had it or the second vaccine if they haven't. This would have been better to do before the season started, which brings me full circle that a couple week delay would have been super primo for Major League Baseball. But here we are. When we come back, we are going to review a movie where a gorilla violated a grown man. Wait for it. We'll be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for downloading and following our, our podcast. Thank you very much for telling your friends about it. We come at you every day, no matter where I am, no matter where you are, you can get the show. We're on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. You can check out the Nothing Personal swag that I'm currently wearing with the incredible backdrop of beige plainness. I watched a movie that came out on Netflix. 
I am the biggest Netflix sucker, right? When I turn on Netflix and it turns on in the movie and there's a big thing of a movie that just came out, I'm going to watch it because I love watching a movie every day. I do watch a movie every day. I review a movie every day or a TV series. I'm knee deep in a TV series right now, by the way. And I had never heard of Christina Hendricks. Never heard of her. I'm happy right now. I watched Bad Trip with Eric Andre and Tiffany Haddish. I went into this movie not knowing one thing except it was 86 minutes. Not one thing about this movie. I laughed out loud so many times that I couldn't believe it. This is a movie that is Borat meets Jackass. That's what Bad Trip is. It's a movie about a guy named Eric Andre and a, a comedian named Tiffany Haddish. And there's a third actor involved. And there's a few other actors involved. But they go around. The sort of shell of the movie is they have to take a road trip. It reminded me of uh, Dumb and Dumber when Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels take a road trip to, I don't remember where they went, to some ski village uh, to drop off a bag that Lauren Holly had left behind. And so they go on this road trip and all sorts of funny things happen to it. And uh, the theory here is Eric Andre is in love with this woman from high school. He sees her. He's got a dead end job. He's not happy. His friend Little Ray is not happy either. And uh, I think that's the actor who plays his name. I can't remember what his name is. Anyway, so they go on this trip from someplace to New York. And what happens to them during this trip is insane. They get into these situations. They're in some town in Florida heading toward New York. Let's just say that if the zoo scene doesn't make you laugh out loud, then I think you need to re-examine your humorous bone. If the bar scene doesn't make you laugh out loud, all of the places where there are real people in the movie, and you can tell who signs the release after the scene is filmed because some of the faces are blurred, but the majority are not. So you know going in that these people knew it was a movie? No, that's not how it works. The way it works is you film, you get real reactions from people to crazy stuff, and then you come out from behind, you say you're in the movie, and they say, I don't want to be in the movie. You say, you sure you don't want to be in the movie? Do you want to see the video of what you look like? It was pretty funny. This could be your 12 minutes of fame. And they say, no, I don't want to be in it. I wasn't supposed to be at that zoo. Well, guess what? They don't reshoot the scene. They just blur out the face and no one knows who it is. But every time you see a face that's not blurred, those people said, of course, I want to be in the movie. By the way, when Eric Andre walked into that diner, when Tiffany Haddish was in the diner chasing Eric Andre, their brother and sister or something. Anyway, so a bunch of stuff can actually happen. Uh, they went into a store and it's sort of like jackass, some of the things they do or some of the stuff that happens with Borat, there is security around off camera. There's a store owner who actually pulled a knife on Eric Andre during the filming of this. Everyone was okay. But anyway, Bad Trip is on Netflix. It is an intellectual free movie, but it is a movie that will give you great pleasure. And why not? What's wrong with laughing once in a while? Nothing personal pick of the day. I gave you three picks, by the way. Did you know that? Friday, the Suns won by four over the Raptors. We gave you a line of four and a half. I'm taking the loss, even though I know the line had gone down to four. It should be a push. Nah, it was four and a half. We lost. Saturday, we had Baylor over Villanova by seven and a half in the, um, uh, the, the, the 16, the round of 16, which is called something else. 
the Sweet 16. Baylor covered. That was a win. Sunday, we had Florida State plus two and a half over Michigan. I really didn't think Michigan would beat Florida State because the Big Ten, what's wrong with them? They just had a bad tournament. Is it possible they have one good team and the rest were all crap? But how would you know they're a good team when they're only playing the crap? Anyway, Michigan crushed them. So I went one and two. Our record is 40 and 27. We're so close to starting baseball picks again. But we got big, big elite eight games today. UCLA is playing Michigan. Why are they getting seven points, Coca? Did you watch the UCLA game? I know you're not watching any games. I've got UCLA plus seven. I am doubling down on the fact that I think Michigan does not make the final four because I'm doubling down on the fact that the Big Ten was such a disappointment. Reminder, if you are in the bracket for nothing personal on CBS Sports, check out where you are. If you beat Coca, you're in the raffle to get a really cool prize. If you win the whole damn thing, you win something too. I'm in like 380th place. I stink. UCLA plus seven versus Michigan. By the way, are you listening to this on Apple? Are you listening to this on Spotify? Because I'm going to tell you about the all new Stitcher podcast app. It is rebuilt from the ground up to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go. There's a revamped web player as well. Stitcher is home to all your favorite podcasts. Uh, My favorite murder. That's a very good one. I don't understand. It's not a favorite. No murder should be your favorite. This American Life, how did this get made? Plus, of course, all the CBS shows. All of them. We got a bunch. We have Eye on College Basketball, right? Our eyes on it until next week or the week after. Fantasy Baseball Today, pay attention. My friend Will Middlebrooks is on that right now, talking about who to draft, who not to draft, giving you some good interviews. And of course, on Stitcher, you can follow Nothing Personal with me and Coca. In Stitcher, you have more control. That's good. Who's not a control freak? You can set your download preferences. You have the ability to listen at virtually any speed you want. Or you can listen to speed like this. With Stitcher, you can listen to your podcast anytime, anywhere. So give the new Stitcher a try. Download it in the App Store or at Stitcher.com slash download. We got that done with. Well, I'm going to try to watch some of these games today. NCAA has two games, and then we'll know the entire Final Four. What's Mark Emmert doing today? Does he go to the games? Do you think, Coca? Do you think he watches the games? I wonder what he actually does. Mark Emmert has a small problem that I just want to mention to you to close this show with. The small problem is that there were a bunch of players who were protesting, and we covered it on a recent episode, not your NCAA property or not NCAA property was the hashtag. They want to meet with Mark Emmert. They want to meet with the Supreme Court. Remember we talked about this? And I believe that Mark Emmert should meet with them. That's his job. I'm not sure what exactly he can do about the Supreme Court case. I'm not exactly sure what he can do about name image likeness, but he could certainly take the time to meet. So the players asked Mark Emmert if he could meet with them. Mark Emmert responded, by saying he would be happy to meet, but after the NCAA tournament. I read that and I assumed it was a mistake. Here's how meeting schedules go when you are the president of something, the president of a team, the president of an organization. You have a scheduling assistant. You tell them when you're free, when you're not. 
They give you an idea of who wants to meet with you. You decide who you want to meet with. When you don't want to meet with the person, you say you're busy, you don't have time, and you push it off, and you hope that it never happens. When you want to meet with the person, but you don't want to meet with them long, you schedule blocks of meetings and you have your assistant come in 10 minutes into the meeting to say your next meeting's here or 10 minutes into the meeting to say you've got a phone call. There are a million and a one ways that you can make a meeting shorter. But just taking the time to meet with people can sometimes be enough. That's sometimes all people want. But instead, what Mark did was say he didn't have the time. And that then led to a response from the players, and I couldn't agree to them more. I couldn't agree with them more, Coca. They said, we are disappointed that you would tend to delay this important conversation for at least two weeks, the players wrote. From our perspective, it's difficult to imagine any higher priority you may have at this time than addressing concerns that are at the core of state and federal college athletes' rights legislation. An upcoming U.S. Supreme Court ruling and the NCAA's ongoing discriminatory treatment of female basketball players in its tournament. Can you please explain what you will be doing over the next two weeks that is more important than addressing these matters? Does Mark Emmert have someone working for him? Anybody? Anyone who could have advised him? Because that letter written by the players, and it was actually sent by someone who runs a guy named Ramoji Huma, who's the executive director of the National College Players Association. Someone needed to advise Emmert that you couldn't delay this meeting two weeks. You, Everybody's in Indianapolis. You could have gotten the players together. Wait a minute, it's even better. Time out. Coca, it's not even an in-person meeting. Because of COVID, you can do everything on Zoom. Oh, now it's even worse. I didn't even think of that till just now. That's how live nothing personal is. It just occurred to me that all Mark Emmert had to do was dial into a Zoom meeting where you reserve the room for a half hour. There were no games for like three days in a row this week. Even on game day, you pick 30 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry, you have a scheduled game? No, you don't do it during a scheduled game. You choose the four players who have been the most vocal and you sit down with them and let them talk. You don't have to say a word. All you say is, we appreciate that you're taking the time and that you're thinking about these important issues. I assure you that we take your concerns seriously. I assure you that we want to address the concerns and we're gonna do it in communication with your organization. We are going to do what we think is right and what you know is right. And we're going to work together to make things better. What is he actually saying? Nothing. There are people like Coco when we were preparing for the show who said that he thought that he pushed back the meeting because the Supreme Court is going to hear the case this week. And he wanted to hear how that Supreme Court ruling went. Just because they hear a case this week doesn't mean they're going to get a ruling. And by the way, no matter what the ruling is, you still meet with your players. Mark Emmert is doing bad business. I wonder if he actually had someone call the players and say, hey, I'm, I'm way too busy. I am way too busy because, hey, it's just business. It's nothing personal, players. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.